the advice I would give is based on my fulfillment formula. And I, and I learned this and I didn't always live it uh, until now I'm trying to live it much more so. And it goes like this. Are you living in your values? Are you working in your strengths and your talents? And are you doing it with a high level of awareness? Meaning, am I, do I have a mindfulness practice? Am I actually like try, paying attention to what it is that I'm doing? Meditation is one way of doing that. Some people do prayer. Uh, other things that are important in, with awareness are exercise, diet, and sleep, right? Am I getting a lot of sleep? Am I moving my body? Am I eating, feeding, fueling myself so I can show up with a high level of awareness? So for me, it's, am I living in my values? Am I working in my talents? Am I doing it with a high level of awareness? And being intentional about those things. And it's a fight. And if you do that, I think that that will at least give you some clarity to, to go and explore Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence show. We have Darius Mizarabi. He's a dad, he's a husband, he's a twin, he's a brother, he's a son. Darius has run a multiple hundred million dollar business. He's been a serial entrepreneur, author. He's a conscious capitalist. He's got a podcast called The Greatness Machine. He's got a book called The Core Value Equation. And on today's show, he's gonna teach you all different ways to use the F word, unfortunately. That wasn't me, that was Darius. But he's also gonna teach you how to follow your passion. He's going to share his fulfillment formula with you. He's going to talk about going out and exploring and finding your tribe. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Darius, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. And as I start every show, I'd love to know what is your definition of excellence? My definition of excellence, my friend Matt, is um, man. I think I think it's around doing things with the end result in mind and really caring about people it, it enjoying what it is that you deliver to them. So it could be anything from your business to your product to me making a pizza for the family. Like I care. Excellence for me is that when I give it to someone, they know that there's a lot of love and effort put into the result. Wow, that's great. And as you know, uh, I've never had the same definition twice. That's very different. Uh, can you be excellent? Can you be not excellent with the end in mind? Can I be not excellent with the end in mind? Yeah, I call that like being a C student. That's just like showing up. So like I was talking about this in a, in a I'm in an accountability group. On Monday mornings we meet and we were talking about this and I said, Look, I'm a type of person, and you and I are both fellow gauchos, UC Santa, Bar UC Santa Barbara. Yeah. Go gauchos. Go gauchos, baby. And so at, at UC Santa Barbara, I could show, if you put me in an easy class, I would get, I would do the bare minimum to get my seat. Like literally, it was, a, it was an efficiency play for me. 
I was like, I literally don't even have to go to this thing. I can show up twice. And I, I, and I would, in my mind, I said B, but I'd end up getting the C. Um, and then you put me in this class that's gnarly and I'd have to work my ass off and I get the A. So I think the, I think doing what, not trying to be excellent to get a result is showing up to get the C. It's like, I do the minimum that needs to get done that people acknowledge is okay, but they're not, no one's patting you on the back for it. So then maybe your, your definition of excellence is you've got the end in mind. You care about uh, people enjoying what's delivered. You've got love in the result and you have to do your best and you have to work at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think excellence requires effort. I, I do think that there is an, I, I think that there's an element of having excellence because you like it so much that it feels effortless. So I will say that for me, like, uh, I have a podcast, as you know, and I love it. I don't have, it doesn't feel like effort. I mean, I try, but it doesn't feel like that when I'm doing it and I feel like the end results pretty solid. Um, so I do think that there is an element of talent that's involved in excellence and that when you have a high degree of talent in something that the effort, it feels a lot less effort effortful it does feel there is an element of effortless so i i might disagree with you on the effort part because i think that when you have talent you love something the effort it doesn't feel like there's effort but you probably are putting in a lot of effort and i had the same uh, same experience as you at the harvard of the west and i always forget that you and i both went to the same college and we found each other later in life the other thing i forget on the podcast is most people when they do podcasts they let people know hey this is my buddy Everybody I interview on the podcast is my buddy. Some of them used to work at our college works business, and maybe I've lost track of them, but they were my buddies at one point in time. But yes, Darius and I go way back, and Darius's uh, and Darius's podcast is called The Greatness Machine. Coincidentally, it launched the day before this podcast, and unfortunately, performing better than my podcast is because Darius, I can't use the word I want to use, but Darius. Uh, does a very good job marketing, we'll say. I, 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 I put in high effort. Now, I will say, this is a good example of high effort, low talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a lot of, I, my effort, I put in 10 to 20 times the effort marketing my podcast as I do the actual doing of the podcast because I'm not good at marketing it yet. So I'm trying extra hard because as you know, Matt, there is a lot of people out there that thinks that they are Joe Rogan and they put their new podcasts out and you're in a, an abyss of noise of bad podcasts. There's tons of, them. so we're competing against a lot. I compete. I, I was on a podcast like you're, this podcast is cool. Like I'm talking to you, you have a great background. Like you, you've, you put in effort to sound professional. I've been on podcasts for people where I could not tell you if it was, and there's nothing against this. I don't know what what species they were. Okay, number one. <laughs> number two, the background looked like it was a scene of a like literally a murder. Like I was like, I felt unsafe, and we were on Zoom together. I was like, is this person gonna capture me and put me in a cage? <laughs> so that and, and by the way, that person that person's out there stealing your listeners. Well, uh, as, as you know, I didn't want to do a podcast either, and I just decided to do one, and it's because I wrote the world's worst book, and I know Darius wrote one of the world's greatest books. Um, Darius ran a huge company. I run a big company. 
Darius has a podcast because he sold his company and wanted to give his gift to the world, the core value equations, the book. Uh, he wanted to share the focus on core values, share what made him great. So he made a podcast as a passion play. I've always wanted to help college kids and young people. I've got a college kid. I've got one going into college. This is my sweet spot. I keep telling my friends and their kids, like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. So it comes out. It's my way to deliver the message. My friends are lining up because their kids don't listen to them either. And so maybe their kids will listen to the podcast when they don't listen at the dinner table. And it becomes something awesome. And I was at a training this weekend for College Works. And you never did College Works, but you know what it is. Two things. One, 75% of our interns get better grades the semester they do College Works, which is 20 hours a week while you go to school, 100 hours a week in the summer at times, because you have to get organized. I was the same way. When I had 12 units, I had bad grades. When I had 18 units, I had great grades. And when I did an internship and had 18 units, I had really great grades. So I talked to him about that. And then I talked to him about the times I chased the mighty dollar. And I went into business. We, we'll call them the orange giant. Um, they're a really, really horrible company to do business with. And they have these giant boxes and maybe they sell wood and things like that. And we'll just call them the orange giant. And I was chasing the mighty dollar in our business with the orange giant. You know, the whole plan, build it, sell it for a hundred million bucks. We didn't like it. We didn't enjoy the partnership and we lost millions and millions of dollars. Um, I, I started business in college not to make money. I started business to figure out business and then I made money. So it's the passion project. And I, I won't make any money off the podcast, but man, I love doing the podcast. And you know, it's not a whole lot of time, but it brings joy to my life because you've got this stuff in your head where you, where you take your knowledge and you go build a, a company that you're the CEO of with a thousand employees doing hundreds of millions of dollars. There's something in there that will help other people do hundreds of millions of dollars. And you're a nice guy. All you want to do is get it out. So we're not trying to get anything from it. We're just kind of throwing it out there, having a good time, which makes it way better. What's the lesson in that for someone in their twenties? What, how would you rephrase that for someone in their twenties so they could take away from that? You know, what's funny is I've been, I've been wrestling with this a little bit because I think that there is, and you and I are kind of on the other side of this. Cause if you asked you and me the same question when we were 22, we'd be like, I want to make money. I'd say, Hey man, I want to get a Ferrari, which I know you wanted that when you were 22 years old and you actually did it at one point. Right. So uh, three I, times, by the way, I had yeah, three of yeah. them, multiple Ferraris, right? I, I have yet to pull the trigger on a Ferrari, but, um, but I want one still, and I'm now 20 years out of being 22. Um, and probably at some point I'll, I'll get one and regret it. But, um, but my, if you ask 22 year old Darius, what does he want? He'd say, I want to make some fucking money. Like a lot of it. I want to, I want to do, I want to have a penthouse and, you know, I want to look like, and now it's different because there's social media really shoving in your face. Like at least when we were 22, there was only like Playboy magazine and some movies and a couple TV shows that would like shove it, put it in your face. Now you have like influence. There wasn't even such a thing as an influencer in 20, 25 years ago. Thank God. It, I mean, talk about it really shoving shit in someone's face, right? Like, oh, you want to be rich? I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. There was barely any of that, right? Like pro athletes were rich. That was it, you know? Um, so I wanted to make a lot of money. I really cared about that. And my lesson I learned was that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And there's a season of your life where that's important. But, but I also learned once I started making some money was that I wasn't any happier when I started making money. So I think money should be a tool. And the, what, what I would have told myself is, hey, dude, go find something you're really going to like that you think you can make money at. You got to have both of those in there. Like, you're going to really like it and you're going to make money at it. Um, I think some people say, oh, follow your passions. And, 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 and then and I, I heard a quote the other day, which is like, I'm going to finance my passion, which I think there's some truth to that. But at the same time, it's like, you got to like what you're doing. And, you, and, and I don't care what product you have, whether it's College Works painting or mortgages or you're a, a software as a service, you pick a product and I will show you someone that's like, yeah, whatever, meh. It's not that, int- that, that's not that. My sister, for instance, wanted to become a fashion designer. Okay. So if you want to be a fashion designer, where do you go to college? Do you know, do you know the best place to go to college to be a fashion designer? Matt? Would it be the New York Fashion Institute? There, there, that's one of them. There's two of them. So, that, so there's the, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, FIT. And there's another one. There's three, actually. There's one called Parsons, which is where they shot like top America's top runway or whatever. Like that's a, a project runway, I think, was shot there. So my sister, who grew up in Orange County with me, goes to Parsons to go into their high fashion design program. She then during, she lives in New York city. She works for rag and bone, a bunch of these really cool hip companies. She's going to Parsons. I mean, like it's the Harvard of fashion design. Like I know you and I went to the Harvard on the beach. She went to the, uh, at Santa, UC Santa Barbara, go gauchos. But uh, she went to the Harvard of fashion. She gets out. She gets her first job with true religion jeans back when they were really, really cool. And then she works for O'Neill in Orange County as their head of one of the heads of women's fashion. And, and ask me where she is now. Where is she now? She hates fashion. (laughs) (laughs) She's my sister's like 36 years old and she hated it. She was like, this industry sucks. She likes the, she likes the the art side of it because it's cool. But every 90 days is a new season you're getting ready for. You're trying to predict what's going to be cool three years from now. Everyone there treats each other like shit in the industry. It's like this brutal, gross industry. Oh, by the way, they don't pay you dick. <laughs> right? So the, the negative, the balcony of being, you know, the, the dark side of being in fashion is everything I just said. The positive side is the shit you see on Vogue magazine. And, and oh, by the way, like, it takes forever to get a job. And for every one job, there's 100 people that apply. So it's this thing that like, it's because the demand to be in the industry is super high, the supply of positions and companies is pretty low. It's super fickle. Think of yourself. Are you going to wear the jeans you bought six years ago today? Maybe, you know, like people don't care about fashion, but people that do care about fashion. I'm not going to wear those. I'm going to wear dad jeans or, you know, like I'm going to wear like, oh no, Stonewash jeans are back in style now. Oh, bell bottoms are back in style now. So you're always, you know, it's just really, there's a lack of uh, fulfillment because you never get to that next level or you're clawing and you don't get the reward. So what I would, the advice I would give is go find, go do some research, but, but put yourself out there, right? Go try a bunch of stuff. Like the mistake I made was I was so money centric that I destroyed my twenties from like an exploration standpoint. All I did is go straight to the thing that can make me money. And there was little exploration involved. And I went for the dollar and then I lived to regret it a few years later. I mean, a few years later, I was like, I didn't make, there was a time where I stopped making money in the industry I was in because the industry got decimated. And I spent five years fighting to make money. I was super unhappy. 
Uh, and, and then I figured out a way to make money again and to make it my own way. But, but the answer I came up with was, you want to, you want to hear the fulfillment formula that I've created? All right. So this is, this is me after 20 years of fighting for fulfillment and it's, it's real simple. So if I was 22 years old, I'd be like, Darius, Hey bud, listen, I know you're really hungry to make money, but here's the answer. You can make money doing anything. There's a person that is a billionaire who created ketchup packets. Some dude, I mean, literally his business or her business is ketchup packets, right? There's a person, I, the first person I ever met was the daughter of this guy who was a billionaire. You know how he made his money, Matt? Nope. How did he make his money, Darius? <laughs> when you're on the freeway and you see those little reflective things that sit on the floor so that you, like you could, at nighttime, you don't go into the other person's lane. He, yeah, he had the world's biggest reflection asphalt highway thing. So my realization is you can make money doing absolutely anything. So you should never go into something simply for money. What you should go into is something that's going to be alive and well 20 years from now. You don't want to be the guy that got in a blockbuster video in 1998. You know, you don't want to start a video. Uh, I do. His name's Wayne Heizenga. So he sold it, by the way. He's, he sold it before it went down. And I watched the thing on Netflix. They didn't go down because of Netflix. They went down because they didn't have the funds and Netflix did. But I would love to be Wayne Heizenga, by the way. I would too. But I don't, what I don't want to do is go and try to become the next blockbuster video in 1998. I don't want to go into a dying industry, right? So, so the advice I would give is based on my fulfillment formula. And I, and I learned this and I didn't always live it uh, until now I'm trying to live it much more so. And it goes like this. Are you living in your values? Are you working in your strengths and your talents? And are you doing it with a high level of awareness? Meaning, am I, do I have a mindfulness practice? Am I actually like try, paying attention to what it is that I'm doing? Meditation is one way of doing that. Some people do prayer. Some people just go for, they call it a for, a forest bathing, you know, going on hikes. Uh, some people like to do it during exercise. Like I know like you like to mountain bike. Right. And they get it, they get it into their, they get to be by themselves. So, uh, other things that are important in, with awareness are exercise, diet, and sleep. Right. Am I getting a lot of sleep? Am I moving my body? Am I eating, feeding, fueling myself so I can show up with the high level of awareness? So, for me, it's am I living in my values? Am I working in my talents? Am I doing it with a high level of awareness and being intentional about those things? And it's a fight. And if you do that, I think that that will at least give you some clarity to, to go and explore. And the last thing I'll add for someone who's younger is go explore. I told myself, I did the same thing you did. I said, I'm going to sell my first company by the time I'm 30 for at least $10 million. And then I'm going to go take a year off. And that, that's when I'm going to go travel around the world. Then at 30, I almost went bankrupt. I did not travel around the world. And uh, none of that shit happened. So like we make up these fake stories of what's going to happen in the future. And here's the answer. You don't know, you know, like, so I, I think there's an element of exploring things with the intention of, of, are they aligned with your values? Are they, um, are, are they based on your talents? Right. I don't want to go. I don't want to be no offense, but if you're a guy that's like four foot 11 and not very like coordinated, don't try to become a professional basketball player. It's like, it's not, not a good idea. Right. I know some people that, like, like I know people that are not the best at like speaking like this, who have podcasts, probably not a good medium for them. You know what I mean? It's not in their talents. It's not in their strengths. 
Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So I'm going to go back on what I said, Darius. Uh, you and I uh, grew up in families rich with love. Uh, my family was very wealthy with love, very wealthy with passion, very wealthy with concern for others, very wealthy with openness and inclusion. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, my dad was going to be a Catholic priest, uh, so he had a theology degree. Um, and I went to a private school where a lot of people had a lot of money, and I did want to be wealthy. And I did have a chip on my shoulder. And there was a guy, and I don't like to say people's names unless the guy's name is Ken Johns and his company was called Ken Johns Lincoln Mercury. Uh, and in New Mexico, that's the, that's the highest that you can go. And some people, when they get high, and I feel, using my opinion, that Ken Johns was one of the biggest assholes I've ever met in my life. And I feel like he used all his power to crush me as a high school student because I feel he misunderstood and thought I was messing around with his daughter when it was everybody else messing around with his daughter. He just didn't know everybody had an issue with her. He thought it was just me. And so he did things like try to get me kicked out of school and things like that. And I was pissed. And I told one of the guys on my uh, podcast, on, the, on this podcast, uh, we were talking about it and I had him edit it out, but I'll say it again. My goal, we won't edit it out this time. My goal is to get a private jet and fly circles around his house, just flushing the toilet over and over right on his head. That was uh, like, literally that fueled me for a long time. And I thank him for being such a horrible individual to me in high school. And I don't know why he was obsessed with it, but it fueled me. But I went into my business not to make money. I went into my business to learn. I stayed in my business because I found my passion. I was exploring. I was going to be a lawyer, found out I like business. I found out I like um, hanging out with college kids. And then the money came later. And it reminds me, and, I, and I'm going to start my video here because I'm going to mention my boy, Sanjay Kapoor. It reminds me of the great Sanjay Kapoor from India. And I, I don't, you don't know Sanjay, but he was chairman of EO um, before I was. And he's a pretty famous business person in India. He's got the Masterpreneur TV show and he's the center of GQ India. And he's a super, super nice guy. He taught me the philosophy of karma yoga, which is if you have clarity of intention, you know where you're going, you have purity of heart and you have sincerity of action, you act to your intention, let go of the outcome and enjoy the process. So while I as a young kid, wanted to have the cars, and we'll get back to the cars, and wanted to have the money, and wanted to have the power to be able to do what was done to me. Um, what I found was 
the way I ended up with some of those things was by enjoying the process. I, you know, I had the intention, um, I had the plan and I acted to the plan, but I really enjoy the process. And I got that from Sanjay, who's such a wonderful man. Maybe I'll get him on the podcast one day. Goes in line with what you were saying. I, I've been, I've always been pretty bad about enjoying the process, honestly. Uh, uh, like that, that's, that's, I've been, uh, that's, that's a, that's a whole, that could be a whole show, but um, I actually just did a podcast on that that's coming out, which is a, around this idea of how do you enjoy the process? I, I, I my, the analogy I use is making a cup, the perfect cup of coffee, right? Like I like coffee a lot and, and, and you can taste the difference between the two. And one, I enjoy the process of making, but um, yeah, I love that, that, that somebody said that I'll, I'll tell you um, uh, there's, there's, Two, there's there's a school thought and you you just reminded me of something when you were talking about what was the guy's Lincoln John guy's name again? Lincoln John guy. The John the John something from New Mexico who owned the Lincoln dealership. Oh, <laughs> um, his name may or may not be Ken Johns. Okay, so Ken Johns. So I I have a a person that I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm not gonna name their name, but um, this person. Their name shall remain nameless, but I saw them go from literally almost broke to being worth a hundred million dollars in like a really short period of time. Okay. And I noticed something and, and the person was a person who I, I enjoyed being around a lot until they made all that money. And then they became a complete asshole. And, and, and so I, I learned a quote then we, we, we've since, uh, we've since reconciled, but, um, I learned a quote then that making a lot of money makes you a lot more of what you already are, you know? And so that could go either way. In, in this person's example, they had some issues they were dealing with and it came out sideways and this was a tough time in their life. And the reflection was they were just, you know, not as fun to be around from my perspective. I, I didn't care if they had money or not, um, but they made, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars and, and they just were not that great to be around. Um, and, and I learned that quote then, you know, so I, I, it was interesting because you watch some people, they make a lot of money and they start doing all this great, great in the world. And they're super cool and down to earth and humble. And you're like, man, that person's so nice. And it's like, yeah, man, they have way less shit to worry about, you know, like they're taking care of. So now that they know they're taken care of and they're like giving all the excess back. And so I, I, my belief is that guy, Ken Johns, he was just, you know, just an asshole. Right. So may. Uh, allegedly was an asshole, right? Well, I, I believe you said your belief is that he was an asshole and I'm not going to argue your belief. And I don't think his lawyers can argue your belief either. And those of you listening to the podcast that are young and haven't dealt with people with lawyers, remember to speak from your feelings and your beliefs, not stating facts. We're not stating it's a fact. We're just talking about our beliefs and moving on from this subject. I do want to come back to the Ferraris because I was a kid. I was 14. My first job was at a Ferrari shop. My family's friend had a Ferrari. He got me the job. I mopped the floors and I would dream about the Ferraris. And I would oh. drive my horrible $500 Lancia Beta, which oh. a Lancia is a cool brand, but a Beta is not a cool car. Uh, and I would pretend it was a Ferrari and I would think about it being a Ferrari. And then, you know, my, my dear, dear friend, JC Peterson, who had a lot of cars, would always loan me cars. And one day he's like, just take this Ferrari, dude, pay me later if you want it. And then we took it and ended up not getting that car because there was something wrong with it. But I got the exact same one. His was white. I got a red one. And I had to go see a psychiatrist about it, dude. I had Why? to hire. 
I had to hire Nicky Namaroff. He would counsel me on it because it was a slap in the face because I grew up with parents that skipped meals and that were on food stamps for a little bit, not very long. It became middle-class and happily middle-class. I worked at a charity every Thursday for years, packing groceries for poor people. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sensitive to situations of others and I'm driving around in a Ferrari. So for me, it was like a slap in people's faces and I don't have them anymore because I, I just, I really can't, couldn't take it anymore. And it's even worse with the Bentleys. Um, I just felt that way. And I would have to, you know, if I had other cars, but if my cars were in the shop and I had to take a Ferrari down to the charity, I would park way away and walk. And I just felt really bad about it. And then Nikki Nemroff helped me understand that I loved them because they were like a piece of art. Oh. And, and I loved them because I loved driving like a maniac. And, you know, if it was, look at me, it wasn't a good thing, but if it was just feeding my other, my other vices, it was okay. It doesn't make sense, but I ended up getting rid of them because it was just too much. And so now I have a car that's just as fast, but nobody knows. And I, uh, I have a dear friend Cavoose that has a rental car company. And for my anniversary, he gave me a convertible Bentley to, to use for a couple of weeks. Cause Jill loves convertibles before I had one. And Oh my God, I couldn't drive that thing. Cause it just felt like I was such a, just a douchebag in it. it well, you, I mean, me. you, so don't get a Ferrari. No, you well, listen, I'm, I'm with, first of all, I've been in the car when you drive and you scared the fucking shit out of me. Um, but that's, that's a, that, that's its own conversation. Um, I, I had, I bought a, a Mercedes. The only time I ever bought a sports car is I bought a Mercedes SL 500. I was 26 years old and I was like, and I was like, oh, I can't do it. I was driving a Honda Accord before this. And this is like the first time I had made money. It was a $130,000 car back in 2005. And so I was like, I'm doing it. I always wanted the car so badly. It's really wanted like as badly as I wanted a Ferrari, but Ferraris obviously cost more. Um, and so I buy this silver convertible Mercedes SL 500. And I said to myself, you know what? You'll never be 26 year, years old again to be able to be driving a car like this. That was, that, that's actually what convinced me to buy the car. Okay. So I buy the car and something happened. <laughs> something, something happened. What happened, um, Darius? I really enjoyed that car a lot, like a lot, a lot. And for the same reason you did, I don't drive fast like you do, but it's a beautiful car. I mean, like just like a work of art, you know, like you spend that much money on a car. It's like you, every texture of it, like the way the steering wheel feels, the way the seats are, you get out, you look at it. It's beautifully designed. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a piece of art, like arguably it is. Right. And, um, and so my girlfriend at the time was driving the car. She asked me if she could borrow the car to go to, to Berkeley because I live in San Francisco, which by the way, having a car like that in San Francisco is like the most idiotic thing you can ever own. And because, taking it to Berkeley is a really bad idea. Yeah. You know, people would like throw eggs at my car when I would drive. Like, it's not like you're in Orange County having a Ferrari or Bentley in Orange County. Like, yeah, it's kind of like, like everyone wishes they were you dude having a, a fancy car in San Francisco. You're like a capitalist fucking pig. <laughs> like, like <laughs> everyone hates you. Um, so I'm driving this car. No, I'm half Persian. So having a Mercedes and being half Persian is like a birthright. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm driving this car or my wife's my girlfriend's driving the car. Uh, I can say wife cause she became my wife. Uh, uh, surprisingly after this story, she still became my wife. So she calls me up and she's like, Oh my God, I just got it. Someone just sideswiped your car. <laughs> you know where this is going. Yeah. And I, and I go, 
is my car okay? <laughs> yes, I know where it's going. <laughs> and she goes, aren't you going to ask me if I'm okay? And I said, well, of course you're okay. You're talking to me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. So, good one. Here's the funny, here's the, here's the, the clincher. I kid you not. There was maybe it was like a year or two later. I would do things like park the car away because I didn't want anyone to scratch it. Like I would, it was in San Francisco, the bumper would get fucked up. Like, cause people would, you know, you're in, you're in the city. I mean, the car was constant. It, it was never as good as it was when I first got it. And I realized there's a quote, which is probably inappropriate, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's that you show me the hottest person in the world and I'll show you someone that's tired of fucking. Them. Right. Wow. Wow. All right. And so my car was that it was the hottest person in the world that I was just tired of sleeping with. And I remember like it sat in my garage, I quit driving it and, and, and I ended up selling the car in like 2012 for like 20,000 bucks. And I remember thinking, I was like, man, I remember the first day I got this car, how amazed I was by it and how great it was. So my lesson I learned was like, you know, possessions, the minute you, they're great, there's a nice little a shot in the arm when you get them, but at some point they they become the norm. And once they become the norm, then you get bored and you move on. And, and so after that, I realized if I wanted to get happiness or fulfillment, I wasn't going to get it from possessions. It taught me that. They asked me what I drive now. Matt. What do you drive now, Darius? I drive a Volvo. <laughs> oh, I, I did know that I've been in it. I believe it's red too, isn't it? I sold that. I got, I got a, a, a dark blue uh, XC, XC90. It's nice. It's a beautiful car. Well, good, because but, I was never going to ride in your red Volvo again. <laughs> that was my, that was my uh, dad version of a Ferrari. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, um, and uh, for the listeners here, typically we don't have these foul mouth conversations, but I do want to talk about it. I, I, I was at a training, like I said, and I told the the group that I had never cussed in front of my kids until they were six. And I kind of have a foul mouth and, you know, I'm, I am who I am. I, I don't, I don't put up a front anymore. I have spent many years with the front up. Um, but now it's just, this is me take it or leave it. And I was telling the, the people I was talking to, and it was a, it was for college works. I was telling them that, uh, you know, maybe I'm not what you expected. I don't wear a tie. I used to wear a tie. I never wear a tie. And I said, you're probably used to the CEOs that are, you know, dressed in the three-piece suits. And there are a few of them out there, maybe 10%, but most of them are just following their passion, doing the best they can back to your definition of excellence or back to your fulfillment. They are working on their strengths. They're aware of who they are and what's going on and they're going with it. They understand their discord, their strength finder or whatever it is. Um, they're living in their, um, they're living in the world of being the best, working on it. They're loving the effect and the result of what they do, but they're a little bit crazy. And maybe they're a little out of the norm. And maybe they have a pink unicorn behind them while they're recording a Zoom. Uh, maybe they use some foul words once in a while. So what's your experience with, uh, and, and this, this shows about what do you do for a living and how do you get there? So you've been the CEO of a multi-hundred million dollar company. You now have a couple different organizations that you're running. What's your experience with the personality of CEOs and how are you able to still be a wild and crazy person and run these big companies? And what would happen if you weren't wild and crazy? I, I actually don't, I, you know, the, one of the reasons I went into being an entrepreneur and you don't know this about me is I had this job and I had, I had a job. The last job I had was at the white house for president Clinton. And I remember doing this job and thinking, 
man, the only way I would ever fucking work here again is if I was president of the United States. Like literally I was 22 and I had that thought. So I was already kind of pretty wired. My dad was an entrepreneur. So I was, I was born watching an entrepreneur just kind of do whatever the hell it was that they wanted to do. And, uh, and so for me, picking entrepreneurism was a good fit for my talents and strengths. So I was like, oh, I get it. I don't want to be confined in a box. And so when I left the White House, I had a job interview at, at it was a, my third interview with PricewaterhouseCoopers in Costa Mesa, California. And in the middle of, I went, met with the partner and at lunch, they do this thing where, where you have lunch. And, and I have a degree in accounting. So from UCSB, which is a good program there. And, and so I'm, sitting at lunch with all these associates, wannabe associates and, and some associates and all these recruits and, and a couple partners. And this girl totally does this to me where she goes, oh my God, are your ears pierced? And, and, and she's salting me. She's trying to make me look bad in front of all these people because she's like so competitive for the job. So this girl, I, I, I don't even know what ended up happening to her, but I said, oh no, actually, so my response, this is when I realized I can never work for anybody ever again, was. No, actually, uh, my ear, the funny thing was my ears weren't pierced until I went into my interview with Hal, who was the partner, and Hal busted out a piercing gun in the middle of my interview, and he pierced my ears. This was my really <laughs> terrible, terrible, <laughs> this is my terrible answer. Now, first of all, I learned a lesson. You don't make jokes about partners um, when you're an associate. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Um, and secondly, I learned that they didn't want me after I said that, so they didn't invite me to... Uh, uh, to work for them. So PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, definitely told me I was not PwC material. Um, but my point being is that, look, I think there's different strokes for different folks. For me, what I've noticed is I tend to like people. I don't care what they do for a living. I like people who are themselves and who, who people that own, own who they are and live it, live their authentic true self and do it, you know, with, with the level of awareness, it's not like, Oh, F the world, I'll do whatever I want, but it's, F the world, I'm going to be who I am. And I'm going to do it with the high level of respect for other people. And I think for me, that's what it comes down to. It's like, I, my favorite word is fuck. But I say it lovingly. I don't say it, I don't weaponize it, you know? Um, and so I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that put on a front, they wear the suit, behind the closed doors, they act themselves. And it's weird. You know, you, you don't understand, there, there's a bipolarism of who are they really? You know, and I think the world craze is craving authenticity right now. We're seeing that there's a bipolar or a, like a, a sorry, a polariz, polariz, uh, polarization. Yeah, polarization of politics. And you're this type of a person or you're that type of a person. And I'm like, listen, man, everyone more or less is the same. Like, I, I like most people want the same stuff. They want safety. They want a loving family. They want good friends. They want to have good times. They want to know that people care about them and they want to have good relationships and they want to do it knowing that there's not going to be a lot of instability and they want their help. Like if you go down the list, that's what most people want. Um, how you get there is where we have all the nonsense. And I think there's a lot of fronting and fakeness and, you know, bullshit. And, and, and that's where I'm like, nah, I'm not going to, I've never done it. I did. Listen, it took me a long time to get comfortable with myself because I had a lot of people saying, giving me dirty looks and, and they didn't like when I would speak up and I would get myself in these situations where I would, you know, I don't know, I'd bomb on my jokes or whatever. And I, and I, you know, I started to learn my audiences a little better, but the reality is, is most of the most successful people I know, and this is not necessarily financially successful, but just successful in life are people that just own what they are. 
and they go out there and they do it un- unapologetically. They live in their talents. Uh, they work in their talents. They live in their strengths. They do it with a high level of awareness. And they attract who they attract. They detract who they detract. And they do it happily. For me, there's plenty of people I don't want to be around. Why? Because they're not going to enjoy being around me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say provocative shit that's going to upset them. Because whatever. It is what it is. You know? And that's fine. Uh, like, I'm not going to change who I am. I'm, uh, like, I'm on the back nine. I got another 40 years in this body, maybe 50 if I'm lucky. And the last 10 to 15 of those years are not going to be great. So I'm going to suck the marrow out of the bone for the next 30 years. And I'm going to live. And, and it's taken me a long time to get, get this comfortable with myself. And what I would tell everybody is, fuck the naysayers. Be who you are. Go out there and live unapologetically as long as you do it with respecting other people and not doing it on trampling on top of other people. And do it with a high level of awareness and respect for other people, but do it by living in your values and working in your strengths. If you do that, man, you're going to attract the right people around you. Yeah. If you do it with respect, if you do it while living, uh, I'm sorry, while lifting, if you do it with respect and you do it while lifting and you understand your audience, and there's a difference between you and I running big companies, being done raising our, well, I'm done raising my kids. Uh, I'm a little bit different than than I was before. But I am who I am, and I was in a, I was in a meeting earlier, and, and it was in my company. And one of the people I was watching two employees. One employee kind of encouraged a negative, uh, uh, racist stereotype, and you can't do that around me, you know. So I had to stop the meeting. I've got two copies of Mira Jacobs' uh, "Good Talk." I can see him right on my shelf right here. I pulled out "Good Talk." She's a friend of mine from high school. I went over a talk. Uh, I talked to them about the book. I made sure to stop the meeting because they crossed the line, right? So you don't cross the line. You're not offensive. You're lift. You're lifting. You're respectful. You're your best self. You're a little different. You're a little weird. I'm a little different. I'm a little weird. But who isn't that successful? Elon Musk, little weird. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, um, Wayne Huizenga. Every one of the people that you can think of is a little bit different, a little weird. So if you're listening to this and you're a little different, you're a little weird, you want to be the CEO of a $100 million company one day, you want to be in the mortgage business like Darius was, you want to be in the coaching business, the podcast business, it's okay to be yourself. Oh, I think everyone should be themselves. And I, and I think that you, the, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is figure out what you are and then go find your tribe. Go find out the people that are going to appreciate that. I had this experience when I was a sophomore in college. Where I transferred, I transferred. I was not originally a gaucho. I was an Aggie. I went to UC Davis for my first two years. And I fucking hated that school. And, and there's plenty of nice people that go to that school, but they weren't my people. They weren't my tribe. And I, I finally, like, I hated it the day I got there. The reason I went there was because I got to wrestle in college. But it took me two years to, like, finally just rip off the band aid and leave. And I went to this program called Semester at Sea. And I remember the day I got there, I'm eating breakfast on, on the back of the boat and we're at sea and I'm meeting all these college students who are super adventurous and cool. I mean, dude, to go on a boat around the world is, is going to attract a certain type of personality. And, and I was like, everyone's like appreciating me. And I, and I hadn't had, I didn't, hadn't found my group or my groove at UC Davis for two years. And I just hadn't found my tribe. And I forgot what it was like to be appreciated. Now, I'm a guy that when I was in high school, I was, you know, president of my class, captain of the wrestling team. And I was like voted most spirited. I was like all, all highly, highly appreciated guy. I went from that to like unpopular 
and it and and for me that mattered. Like for me, it meant my self worth was low or whatever. And when I got on semester at sea, I found my tribe, and I was like, oh, this is great. I feel appreciated again. And then, and I was young, so I didn't know that a lot of this comes from within. I may have been giving off a certain vibe that, that made it where people I couldn't find my tribe at UC Davis. And then I go to UC Santa Barbara, and it was like doubling down. I really found my tribe there, and and I learned a lesson, which is that everyone's not going to appreciate me all the time, and that's fine. I'm going to give them an opportunity to, and I'm going to be respectful. But if at some point I realize I haven't found my tribe, then I'm not going to change who I am to fit in. That's for damn sure. I'll just go find my tribe somewhere else. And I've done that multiple times in my life. It served me well. And my, my advice to people is be who you are and go find your people. And they, they can't find you if you're faking who you are. That's for sure. You know, if you're putting up a front, no one's going to know what, who you are to find you. So you got to go be yourself. And then you got to go out there and find who, who, who that will attract those who see what you are. And it might be you need to go to the right city to that, for that. You might need to be in the right job for that. You might need to start the right business for that. But as long as you're putting yourself out there and going to the places that are going to be surrounded by your tribe, eventually you're going to be amongst your people. And when you find your people, then you get a community. When you get a community, then now you have something to lean into. So I think that's a really important part. And I think the, the problem I see a lot of people do is they try to be something that they're not. And, and listen, nobody wants 80% of what you're not. <laughs> You know, like, like they're gonna think. No one wants a cheap rip off, rip, rip off of Kim Kardashian. We we love, we want Kim. You know, like I mean, I'll take a cheap rip, rip off for maybe a hot second, but but you know, uh, it gets boring pretty quick. Uh, were you there when they forgot to uh, install the no drinking in the streets rule? They had to repass it every few years, and they forgot to do that. Were you in Santa Barbara when that happened? Um. No, I think, I don't know. I, I can't remember us not drinking in the streets. I, I was there in 1998, 1999, and 2000. Oh, I, I, I can't believe you're that much younger than me. Uh, did they still have Naked Day when you were there and you'd get free music if you showed up at the music store naked? I don't remember Naked Day. See, what happened was UC Santa Barbara was really, really cool up until 1992 when I was a sophomore. And then they changed all the rules and got rid of Halloween and it became not uh -huh. as cool. But then the marquee of the uh, of the diploma went up. So I got to have the fun and I look like a genius. You're just a genius that didn't have the fun I had. Uh, it, you know what, though? It, it, it's the type of thing where it was like full blown, unadulterated craziness and they dialed it back 20 percent. and It was still like you're creating it on. You got to grade it on a curve. It was still like, you know, it was still pretty insane. It just wasn't like 1980s, like late 80s, early 90s insane, which is crazier everywhere. Like naked day? There's, yeah, like, like naked day, right? Like there, there was no naked day, but people still got naked. It just wasn't an official day. <laughs> uh, so you hit me with some of it. One of the questions I like to ask is... Uh, uh, what would you tell your 20 year old self? If you could go back in time, you tell them, Hey, find your tribe. What else would you tell your 20 year old self? Cause there's someone just like you, maybe they're half Persian and happy Persian new year's, by the way, I know I'm a uh, two Thank days you. late. Thank uh, you. Uh, maybe they're half Persian. Maybe they're a little crazy. Uh, maybe they want to go into the mortgage business or the banking business and be a CEO they want to know what you would tell yourself. So what would you tell yourself besides find your tribe? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is go explore. You know, I, I was watching Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about this and he said, age 22 to 30, he used the word like go Mongo or something. Just like do all the craziest shit because 
the rewards for getting it right are super high and the risk is super low. Like you don't have kids. You're in, by the way, you're probably going to have a wife or kids or husband or kids, or you're going to have a family. You're going to have more responsibilities. The odds of responsibilities increasing goes up exponentially every year you age, right? Until you hit kind of a baseline, right? So your responsibilities, especially from 30 to 40, like your responsibility levels are going to go up. I guarantee it. You're either going to be so old, your parents are going to be like, get the fuck out of my house, right? So you're going to have more responsibilities that way, or you're going to actually take on real responsibilities like a job or a spouse, kids, all that stuff. So the odds of that happening in the 30 to 40 decade are exponentially higher than they are in the 20 to 30 decade. So my take is what I didn't do is take probably, I, I probably should have taken more risk, but I was so money hungry that I was like, I'm just need to make money. Um, I probably should have taken on a little more risk and, and, and done so from an exploration standpoint. Now, mind you, I'm saying take on more risk this is from a guy that was running an $8 million company when he was 27, right? So like, I did take on risk, but I didn't do it from an exploratory standpoint. I did it from a making money standpoint. And I would say, go explore more. I knew a guy that ran, he was running, he, was a, he graduated from Harvard. He was running uh, campaigns, right? And then he trips into a SaaS-based uh, energy company that he sold, that like, became the president of, he went public and sold it to Cisco for like, I don't know, $300 million. The guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars now. He definitely followed his passion and was exploratory before he tripped into this business that became this huge success. He spoke at the main TED stage, right? So he was not trying to be an entrepreneur when he was 25. He was trying to run campaigns for like local politicians in San Francisco. Um, there's a, I saw a lot of people that did that. And that was the one thing I would have corrected myself on. I was said, hey, man, you need to make enough money, but don't do it at the expense of exploring. Go explore more. Go find, go, the world's big. Don't, don't just sit there and run to the dollar. Um, I would have probably explored more. That would have, that's the one minor regret I have. So we got to go back to your definition of excellence. Caring about people, uh, enjoying what's delivered, loving the effect of your result beginning with the end in mind. Um, we got to go back to your fulfillment formula. <clears throat> fulfillment formula. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, Darius just told me I should continue fueling my ADD and bounce from one thing to another. That's not what he's saying. Everything Darius and I do, we do is the best we can. Everything we do, we put a time limit on it and we go to that time limit and we, and we extend it. When I was chairman of the school board, I was the best chairman of the school board and I brought my crazy self and we went from, you know, a, a, an accountant running the school board to me running the school board. Everybody had a better time. We rebuilt the campus. We got uh, the enrollment up and, you know, myself worked, but I was in that role for three years. I committed to my college works painting for a few years. I committed to my chemical company to a few years. So you don't skip around. You don't explore and, and become a dreamer. Dreamers are people that have big ideas with no path to it. And that's, uh, that, you know, part of my, my definition of excellence is you, you have to deliver, right? You can't just think big things. You've got to deliver. So you can't explore, but you need to achieve or else doors start closing on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like um, I want to say this. The one thing I would have, what I would have done is built a plan to go travel around the world. When I say explore, I literally mean go travel around the world for you. Like yeah. I would have, that's what I meant. Yeah. I had a good gig traveling around the world. Someone else paid for it. 
That's a good way to do it. And I got, oh, yeah, to meet, yeah. I got to meet all sorts of cool people. So you can figure it out. And I had a company while I was exploring for a different organization. So we got to shut this down real quick. Before you go, um, I'd love to know what sacrifices you made when you were young that you will never regret. Oh, man. Hmm, interesting. I have never been asked that question before. You know, I sacrificed, I do regret some of my sacrifices, but um, the two sacrifices I made was one is I took on $20,000 of debt, which I know you can't do that now to go on semester at sea. And that was the best 20 grand I ever, I ever took on in debt. And like hands down, that's 20 grand I spent without question. Um, second, second sacrifice I made was I decided to have a child when I was 31 which was for some people that's young. Um, and for me, like best decision I ever made. Like I, I always tell people having children is, um, and this is, you know, I know this is for really young, this is for your college age people, but a lot of people are like, you know, oh, I'll have kids when, you know, like maybe one day, or I don't want to have kids. And I will say this, I didn't want to have children. And um, having kids the first time you love something more than yourself. And there's no, it's like telling someone, like this is a bad analogy, but it's telling someone how great sushi is who's never eaten sushi. It's like, can't compare it. There's no comparison. So that was a sacrifice that I'm still so pumped that I made. My children, if you're listening, I never looked at you as a sacrifice. I always wanted to have you as children. It's the number one thing I ever wanted to do. Um, and Darius's kids, if you're listening, he never shuts up about how much he loves you. Thank you so much, Darius, for coming on the show today. If you guys want to uh, reach Darius, you can get him at therealdarius.com. You can listen to his podcast, The Greatness Machine. You can read his book. What's your book called, Darius? Core Value Equation. The Core Value Equation, which every one of the VPs in my company has because Darius helped us come up with our core values. Thank you very much, Darius, for joining us on the show today. Have a great day. Thanks, brother. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.